Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff. Text me 949-415-6256. Please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. It's been selling really well, getting very well received by the community. Thank you guys so much for that. Also check out the YouTube member page. Join this channel to get perks. That's my YouTube uh, membership. It's 10 bucks a month. You get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, You also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out. Really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening. Hey, Guru Nation. So this is a very different video. Um, It's actually an idea. So there's five doctors I had on. I had my dad, Dr. Adonis Fair. He's a psychiatrist. I had Dr. Sabine Hazen, who's a GI. I had Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, who's world-renowned cardiologist. I had Dr. Brian Tyson, who owns Urgent Care. Um, All of these people are authors, by the way. And then Dr. Joe Elliott, who I work with, at Yuma Clinical Trials. Uh, He's not a PI, he's a sub-I, and he's just getting started out. Turns out we went to the same school. I had no agenda, no plan for this conversation. I just wanted to get these five doctors on a Zoom. We tried to do it in person, but it's impossible with everyone's schedule. It's hard enough to do it on the Zoom. And just hit the record button and see where the conversation goes. Obviously, I knew COVID would come up. You know, there's a lot of interesting science here and a lot of interesting questions brought up and about the future of the industry, about the future of research, where we're headed. Dr. Hazen brought up microbiome. Uh, I think it was a decent hour. Obviously, not everyone's going to like it. Obviously, I was way out of my league on most of the conversation, but I'm just like you. I'm here to learn and I want to hear what scientists and doctors who treat patients and doctors who publish articles are saying. So this was the video we came out with on on Memorial Day. So thank you everybody. Thank you to all of our fallen soldiers that keep us safe and give us freedoms. Happy Memorial Day. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Thank you so much for watching. Bye-bye. But uh, Joe, I think those ideas are very good actually for topics. My dad was just asking before you got on, what are some good topics? And I told him, you know, everything. Well, yeah, um, I think if if we just kind of make an agenda, I would say maybe intros, uh, 
they can be really brief because I'm sure a lot of people already know most of the folks. We could then go into state of the union of healthcare, and then we could go into future planning solutions. And then, um, I mean, I have a few specific questions based on uh, these. Yeah, those oh, are great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been reading them. I mean, I didn't quite finish them, but I mean, I got through most of them. Well, I got through most of Dr. Hazen's book, but um, I got some yeah. questions for her. I got some things uh, for Dr. Her, Tyson. So. Her and my dad love the bifidobacteria. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's available as a prescription, right? Oh, which one? Bifidobacteria. Oh, yeah, it, it is, yeah. yeah. yeah bifidobacteria, yeah. Uh, they, have, they have several of these, uh, you know, probiotics. Uh, they have bifidobacterium by itself and then and then with with lactobacilli, yeah, have seven. Yeah, I've been doing more work on uh, on the on the S two antigen, you know, of the COVID, uh, of the SARS CoV two, um, and and looking at the at the cell circulation, you know, uh, because the X the the S two antigen activates that fusion machinery and uh, and so I've been looking at that for a while yeah so that um so there's a paper from 2004 about that topic mm -hmm. uh, stru mm -hmm. structural similarity between HIV-1 GP-41 and SARS-CoV-2 uh, or SARS-CoV S2 proteins uh, suggest an analogous membrane fusion mechanism Yes. yes. So, 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 so this was known about since '04, at least. It was known for a long time, yeah. uh, and and also the vaccine also contains contains a polyethylene glycol, which is another fusogen. It's a chemical fusogen. So the vaccine is actually causes more fusion than the virus itself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad oh, yeah. you're mentioning that. Ooh, this is going to be a hot topic. And we have Dr. Tyson on the phone. So why doesn't everyone just introduce themselves briefly and then we'll get into some of these things that uh, everyone's so passionate about. Okay, I can Hello. start. I'm, I'm a psychiatrist uh, interested in, in uh, microbiome and, and, uh, and viruses for, for, for the um, simple reason that that many of the um, receptors that that are in the present in the gut are also present in the brain uh, for example bile, bile salts now we myself and dr hazan were working on on the fxr receptor and bile salts and and, uh, and and we all know about those things from the liver and the gut but but there's less talk about what they do in the brain and they are actually involved in, in schizophrenia and uh, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease. So, so that's why I'm interested because it's not only, it's not only one area that, that uh, contributes to what's happening with, with, with a viral infection, but, but everything is, is interconnected. Um, for example, in psychiatry, we didn't know much about the 
uh, renin angiotensin system. Um, but now it turns out after the virus, learning from the virus, that it may actually be more important than dopamine or serotonin that we knew for, for decades. So this is, this is what I'm working on uh, right now. So. All right, so I guess I'm next. Uh, Dan, you know me, we've done a lot of uh, work together. And now I'm so excited. The best part of knowing you is, uh, is having met your dad because now we're bringing the psychiatric with the gut. It's all brain gut access. We're gonna tap into those microbes and what they're doing. We're gonna write some amazing data. So I'm very excited to think you started off as my monitor for clinical trials. And now here we are spearheading the microbiome. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that's me in a nutshell. I'm the girl spearheading the microbiome research and uh, looking for answers in, you know, psychiatric disease, in um, neurological disease, etc. And the virus actually, you know, was a great learning uh, tool for us in the microbiome space because it opened up you know, so many, um, so many answers that we had, you know, especially what microbes were affected during the viral, etc. Yes, exactly. Let's talk. Can we say it, Dan? Yeah, you could say anything you want. It's okay. Let's Hope. talk shit. Yes. You know, so we'll I'm the, get to the bottom of it. I think that's the least concerned. That's the word least concerned YouTube will be off this podcast. So, <laughs> someone said, I oh cannot my. listen to Dr. Hazan because she's using profanity words. And I said, <laughs> you know, well, that's good. At least they got the message that shit is microbiome. Now I'm going to retitle the, the book. Let's talk microbiome. We need to get <laughs> my dad, uh, Dr. Tyson and Joe on Twitter because they don't use Twitter. That's true. Well, I, I used Twitter until I got kicked off for good. Oh, uh, that's Dr. Tyson. Why'd you get kicked off of Twitter? Maybe because that's a good I intro. Asked, <laughs> I asked, yeah, I asked really simple questions. They don't like simple questions. So the first one I asked was, why do kids need a vaccine when they have a 99.997% chance of survival? Heaven forbid that that got me my first suspension. My second suspension was, I asked, um, why don't we treat the vaccine like the, the aerospace and transportation industry by looking at events and you know reporting events and fully investigating all of the events? So another question that they didn't like. So that one got me my second ban. And then the third one was a picture of a vaccine injured patient. And I said, when you've been lied to, it's often when, wait, what did I say? It, I said, um, when you realize you've been lied to, it's often too late. True. And they kicked me. They kicked me off of Twitter permanently for that one. And then, uh, Dr. Joe, why don't you? Uh, you have both books, right? Uh, uh, Dr. Tyson's book. Yep, I got it right here. It's actually like super. Does really well on um, Amazon. Actually, both of your guys' books do really well on Amazon. A lot of reviews, and there, there you go. Dr. McCullough has it too. 
And Dr. McCullough, uh, can we do an introduction? I know we had you on the podcast and by Dr. some- Dr. McCullough has a book too. Oh, I need to buy that are, Many yeah. of you are in the book. <laughs> yes, The Courage. That's a great book. We yeah. need to start promoting that book. That's another you know, one I need it, to buy then. I didn't know about that. So that's good to, that's yeah. good that you're on. Yeah, get, get me your address. I, I got a whole bunch in my, um, my living room. I ordered a bunch. John Leake's a best-selling author, so he's already won a bunch of awards. So uh, I did it with a pro, and this guy, the the we worked on it for a year. It really does flow, um, and we hit a, a lot of the number one ratings in Amazon already. Uh, so it's and a lot of people are in it. A lot of our friends are in the book. There's it's a story. It's actually telling a story. It's a preview to the movie, right, Peter? <laughs> well, we're going to write, we're going to write a next one about the vaccines. So this one was about the suppression of early treatment and what's going on. John Leake's a true crime author, and he's coming out saying that, that all the criteria are fulfilled to at least two crimes have been committed. One is fraud and the other one is uh, negligent homicide uh, on, a, on a mass scale for the suppression of treatment. Right. Yeah. Well, first, first of all, the vaccine was approved. Uh, uh, only as an emergency, and and it was approved because they 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 tried to to show that there was no other treatment, but the other treatments. Well, that's how it got approved, right? That's how. It well, well to, there's even today there's undermining. Uh, there there have been undermining of nasal washes. There's undermining of monoclonal antibodies. Undermining of uh, Paxlovid and Molnupiravir. Believe me, it, it's any treatment is going to be undermined or suppressed in order to promote the vaccines, EUA or no EUA. Well, and, and, and that's part C of the EUA. Part C says, um, if I'm going to quote directly actually from Dr. Uh, Tyson's book, no adequate approved and available alternative to the candidate product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating the disease or condition. So because part C is false. I mean, if this ever went to court and, and you had a judge uh, that was doing their job, I, I think it would be a slam dunk case. Yeah, but it was all it was all I mean, they, uh, it's been a complete suppression and oblivion to early treatment in order to vet to uh, advance the vaccine agenda. And there's so many uh, uh, examples, for instance, the monoclonal antibodies being pulled off the market for theoretical concerns that the virus is mutated, but the vaccines never pulled, even though they're targeting the spike protein as well. Uh, so, I mean, there's just just, just a, a, a multitude of examples. And now, now I think everything's in the open. But didn't it. we know the virus was mutating from day one? Isn't that the, the point of a virus to mutate? <laughs> yeah, well, the coronavirus, yeah. But, but, but I think things are in the open now. I Thank think God. things are in the open. I just saw a tweet uh, Klaus Schwab sent an angered message to uh, Bolsonaro of Brazil. And uh, the message was, uh, Schwab said specifically, we have the means to impose this state of the future on the world, Schwab said in a video. I mean, it, this isn't about health. This isn't about beneficence. This is about world domination. It's clear. Control. Control through fear. 
The NWO, the New World Order. That's what this is all about. I actually think that's good. Uh, Dr. Joke, if you introduce yourself and kind of talk about Yuma Regional and your experiences there, I actually think it's a good transition into some of your other talking points that you had. Yeah. Um, first of all, it's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, so I, uh, I'm one of the youngins here. I'm, uh, I'm a U of A grad. Uh, I, I, I went there for undergrad and I went there for medical school. I graduated in 2013. I did internal medicine uh, in Albuquerque at UNM, graduated in 2016. And I was a hospitalist for about six years. I, I never specialized because I was just interested in too many things. So um, I was a hospitalist uh, up until uh, February, uh, actually Valentine's Day this year. Uh, when Yuma Regional Medical Center suspended me. Now, I'll tell you, uh, I uh, submitted a religious exemption for the vaccine. I got denied twice. I submitted an affidavit from my lawyer. And um, the chief medical officer, Bahrat Magu, called me up on February 11th. He called my cell phone, okay? And, you know, I could, I could paraphrase basically. I mean, I don't remember the whole thing, but he said, you know, Joe, we got to get this figured out. He coaches me on how to fill out the religious exemption form. He, he tells me he's the chair of the committee. Okay. And I said, oh, so I just need these two things and that's it. And he's like, yup, yup, it'll get, it'll get, okay. Then come Valentine's day, I got suspended. And, uh, and I called him up and I said, what happened? And he said, Oh, you know, I overstepped my bounds and I shouldn't have given you that advice. And I said, I thought you were the chair of the committee. So, Oh no, no, I'm the chair of the medical exemption committee. And then he said, Oh, call HR. I can't, I can't do anything for you. And that was it. So, um, I, in short, I have gathered a lot of data and I can, I can prove that Yuma regional medical center has, grossly discriminated against its employees. It has violated Nuremberg Code and it has violated the Bill of Rights of the United States of America, which come from God. And um, that can all be proven in court uh, if it ever goes to court. So um, I'm waiting on EEOC. Uh, it, it's been filed and uh, it's moving. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're gonna need to apologize eventually. Um, so in terms of me, just my interests, I've always been interested in preventative health, even though I was a hospitalist for six years, I, I have an interest in constipation in the hospital. I have an interest in, um, you know, the, the reasons why people gain weight. I just did the, uh, obesity medicine conference a couple of weeks ago. That was, that was really good. And, um, I'm really enjoying primary care. Uh, doing it for the first time since residency, and it's and it's really rewarding. Even doing it for about a month and a half, so I already got some good stories, some really good success stories, and it's just going real well. So I am thankful, and I don't know what else to. Dan, do you have him hooked up with clinical trials? Uh, well, we work for a clinic, so I, his boss is our PI. Um, but yeah, that's going to happen soon. So we should put him in the obesity clinical trial because and constipation on the microbiome. Yeah. We're working on lost microbes that can potentially be the culprit of obesity. So you should definitely be part of that. And also constipation potentially could be a microbiome dysbiosis. 
So we have two clinical trials on that. So Dan, make the connection so we can have him on. So yeah. if I can just do this quick plug with Dr. Hazen, um, Dr. Hazen, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Um, number one, I, I always reviewed all of my own CT images when I was a hospitalist, all of them. And, and I noticed that radiologists never examine people and they shouldn't, but they almost never comment on stool burden. And when I'm documenting firm and dull, they say nothing. And I'm like, okay, dude, I need to look at this. And, and, and almost, and I would say six times out of 10, it was pancreatitis. It was chest pain. It was super pubic pain and it was all constipation and you just clean them out and it's done. Um, so I think doing some research on that, it's not going to be very fruitful. It would have to be like the military or the DOD who would fund it because no one else really cares. Um, there's that. And then I've been noticing there's a lot of patients that tell me they gain weight after their colonoscopies. And, and I think it's because most, I see, I said most GI doctors, okay. Um, don't, um, talk about what to eat. And in particular, what to eat after the colonoscopy, because the patients who remember, I ask them, so what did you eat after your scope? And I'm like, did you splurge? Did you eat a big deep fried? They're like, yeah, I did. So if their gut's empty, then, then, then you're reseeding it with a whole bunch of bacteroides prone stuff. Absolutely. And, and, and the prep, the prep is a disruptor of the microbiome. Right. So right, the right. nature of the prep, I'm very, um, when I use my prep, I use natural preps that don't damage necessarily all of it, um, cool. but give, a, like, give it a cleansing. Um, but the prep does a, big, does a big job at, you know, cleaning oh. out the bad microbes. And then, you know, you splurge on a garbage food. And the next thing you know, of course, you're gaining weight. So fascinating yeah. work. That would be fascinating studies to do. Yeah, it's just ideas I've been kicking around. And, and, and you do talk about this in your book. So this yes. is stuff that's in your book. I, I did run across it. I mean, I kind of went through it really fast. Well, yeah. thank you. And thank you for paying attention. You know, I think most doctors, this is a new field for them. And I think it's time we bring doctors to this field because that's the only way we're going to kind of gain back medicine in a way. Um, yeah. You know, the idea that microbiome testing is on the area of businessmen is wrong. I think it's the area of doctors. Only doctors understand what mycoplasma is, what strong eloides is, you know, and recognizes these bugs and uh, the potential side effects and, and, uh, and symptoms that it can cause, right? So I think it is really at the level of doctors understanding microbiome testing. And that's why I want as many doctors as possible um, this is a way also to take back medicine in a way, because I feel like, look, we, we're living in a world right now where we are being told what medication to take, what vaccine to take, and you can't go back to work unless you have, you've been vaccinated. What world is this? I mean, what world yeah. is this? Yeah, like Gardasil and Crohn's, right? I've uh, taken care of young girls who uh, got Gardasil, and five months later, they uh, developed painful diarrhea and they got diagnosed with Crohn's there's a website of lawyers for um you know for uh, uh individuals who have been damaged by Gardasil yeah but the, you know that's the the sad part is those are topics that are like taboo if you even ask the question if you even mention it oh my god you're an anti-vaxxer well we're not anti-vaxxers we're asking you know it's so funny because when people call me an anti-vaxxer and Dan will attest to that 
I've done a dozen studies on clinical trials on vaccine studies alone. So I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I, I appreciate vaccines that are safe, that are yeah. effective. What we've seen with these vaccines are neither safe nor effective. You know, just because somebody, you know, my favorite comment right now, and, and Peter will, will, will acknowledge this, oh, I got COVID, but thank God I got boosted. Oh, what is that all about? Oh, well, thank God I got, you know, I got mild symptoms. Well, guess what? I haven't had symptoms, you know? So, and I'm not boosted. So what are we comparing here? You know, my well, favorite is Bill Gates. That's it. Thank God I got, you know, I've, I, I got COVID and I got mild symptoms. Thank God for all the boosters. You're not a representative of your vaccine. It's like, if you hadn't gotten COVID, I'd be impressed. But dude, you got COVID. How can you say sell a drug that causes the, the vaccine? Well, but so, prevent. Sabine, it was actually Anderson Cooper was interviewing Bill Gates. Anderson took three shots. Bill Gates <laughs> took four and they both got COVID. Then <laughs> Anderson asked Bill Gates for medical advice. And he says, you know, Bill, should we take some more shots? We've already had COVID now. And Gates thinks about it. He goes, well, to be absolutely safe, we should continue to take more shots. I tell you, historians will record. This, this, I wow. mean, it's hilarious. It's the blind leading the blind. I mean, I'm just like, this whole thing is just so beyond ridiculous. I'm taking care of non-vaccinated elderly folks that are supposed to be high risk and they have mild symptoms with this new strain now. So when Bill mm -hmm. Gates says, well, I have mild symptoms thanks to the vaccine, I'm looking at my 87 year old patient and I'm going, well, my 87 year old patient has mild symptoms too. And he didn't get a vaccine or my morbidly obese patient has mild symptoms too because the virus is, do you think Peter, the virus is weakening? Oh, the virus is weakened considerably. I haven't That's had anybody. I haven't had anybody close to hospitalization now in a long time. And you and I have been go back for a long time. We remember those tough days where people uh, were very hypoxemic at home and getting yes. close to the hospital. You know, there's a building story for immunity to be dropping with every successive vaccine. Uh, paper from the NIH, Froman and colleagues show that there's an impaired antibody, a full antibody response against the virus. Hakeem and colleagues had shown about 15 different epitopes that he was able to measure. That means 15 different libraries of antibodies against the nuclear protein, the, right. uh, the, um, uh, the E protein, et cetera. Now uh, with uh, the most recent Roman paper, if you've had a vaccine, you actually get an impaired antibody response against the full virus. And so it's really backfiring, I think, for, uh, for the stakeholders. Now, Dr. McCullough, um, regarding that, I, I was uh, looking at CBCs and differentials on some of, uh, but before I lost my hospitalist gig, um, I, I, was, I was looking at CBC and dips on my chronically ill patients in the hospital who I knew were vaccinated. And I noticed the really, really chronically ill ones, I'm wondering about their, their dips because they already had, some of them already had lymphocyte counts, 700. No. 600. Yeah. And, and one of them, I checked the CD4 and it was like 400. And, you know, yeah. I mean, last I checked the definition of AIDS is, isn't it like less than 300 or something? Right. So there is a term called VADS or vaccine induced mm -hmm. uh, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. And it has to do with the fact that the homology with sequences in the spike protein for the glycoprotein of HIV 
Remember, in the Australian uh, vaccine trial led up by University of Queensland, they exposed that epitope immunologically in an antigen-based vaccine trial. They turned 100% of the Australian subjects in the trial HIV positive, even though they didn't have HIV. It was just the uh, them recognizing an epitope. Uh, people have recognized with acute uh, SARS-CoV-2 lymphopenia, and it's probably driven in part through that homology to HIV. It's, it's yeah, the, Peter, Peter, for, for us in the urgent care, right? So I'm probably one of the only physicians as an outpatient that do multiple chest x-rays on these people. Um, and we have not seen any positive chest x-rays since Delta variant has left. Wow. So, so all of my Omicron cases, I do not have any positive pulmonary findings on chest x-ray. Me neither. And no, no oxygen desaturations. I mean, like to the Correct. point, and Brian, I don't know if you've changed your treatment, but I'm using mostly vitamins for these folks. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't used antivirals. I've just had one or two. I've used monoclonal antibodies. I've used Paxlovid maybe about five times. I, I thought just to improve the symptoms of Omicron, I'm using ivermectin plus prednisone together in a quick hit, and it seemed, they seem to bounce back pretty quickly. But uh, most patients just need the virucidal nasal washes and vitamins and supplements. Yeah. Now, now Dr. Tyson, with, uh, with the incoming problems from uh, old Newsom boy over there, what are you going to do when you get COVID cases? I mean, are because pretty soon you're not going to be able to use uh, ivermectin. Wait, wait, wait. You mean Governor Newsom, who also got COVID and got vaccinated ten days ago? He's, yeah. he's, still, yeah. he's still pushing for it, though. He, like, <laughs> he, he, he wants to remove ivermectin from the formulary for the state of California. So, but, but I mean, I do think I, I didn't, you know, now Dr. Tyson, I didn't touch nearly as many patients as you did. I. I think I saved maybe 14 people from being hospitalized because I was a hospitalist and people were calling me and it was just stuff on the side. But I, I use mostly vitamins because I couldn't um, I couldn't get prescriptions to a lot of people. So is that is that kind of what you're going to do, Dr. Tyson, or do you use fluvoxamine now or anything like that? No, I mean, honestly, I'm still using hydroxychloroquine, which, okay. you know, you can't that you can't take that off the formulary uh -huh. uh, because you'd have a a lot of pissed off lupus patients. Yep. Um, so, so, you know, hydroxychloroquine still works. Zinc still works. Vitamin D3 still works mm -hmm. and inhaled budesic works, works great when you need it. Um, uh, but Brian, the most Brian, part, Brian, how much vitamin D are you using now in acute treatment? Uh, we use um, five to 10,000 units a day for five days. Do you know, yeah, I've I, upped my game. I've actually gone 40, because a lot of people are vitamin D deficient, a lot of them. And so what I do is, is especially if they've never touched, I go 20,000 times three days. And that's, yeah, you know, you know what I learned from Eric Clapton's personal doctor, who's a natural doctor, 20,000 a day for five days, quick blast. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Of a D3, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when I was yeah, a hospitalist we, we, and I was there for um, wave, oh, sorry, go ahead. But I was just going to say we can, I can, I can up that out here. We're not so much vitamin deficient because you know we're desert workers, uh, field workers, and everybody's pretty much outside. Um, and you know, very rarely do we even have clouds in the sky. Um, but 
so we don't see that much vitamin D deficiency out here except for the elderly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 20,000 is fine. Okay. In psychiatry, we noticed early when COVID came that uh, uh, patients on psychotropic drugs seem to be protected. Uh, we had fewer cases. And yep. then, then, of course, uh, uh, chlorpromazine and, and uh, derivatives of chlorpromazine are protective in these patients. And uh, now they came with uh, Luvox. It was uh, FDA denied, but, but in general, uh, 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 chlorpromazine is, is known to be an antiviral drug. In fact, microbiologists divide uh, uh, bacteria into, into uh, I mean viruses into uh, chlorpromazine positive and negative. And, and what it does, it works at the level of uh, viral endocytosis. It prevents the endocytic pathway. And that's, that's what ivermectin does. And that's what hydrochloroquine does. So uh, uh, we st started out with the hypothesis back in uh, 2020 that, that when the virus occupies the ACE2 receptor, that increases uh, uh, angiotensin II. So you get an intoxication with endogenous angiotensin II. And uh, I could, almost couldn't publish the article because at that time, everybody was saying the opposite. That, that you should not use um, uh, ARBs uh, for in patients with COVID, that they should stop taking their anti-hypertensive um, medications because it makes you sicker. But eventually things turn around and, and now we know that uh, angiotensin receptor blockers are actually protective for, for COVID. In fact, it's funny that you say that because the first protocol that I submitted to the FDA before the hydroxychloroquine, vitamin C, D, and zinc was actually lisinopril mm -hmm. as a prophylaxis because it's a great ACE2 inhibitor. Low mm -hmm. dose lisinopril is a good ACE2 so like 2.5 even, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You know, zinc is also a great ACE2 receptor blocker. You know, I mean, there's so many things. And then, you know, working in the cell is the other thing that, you know, we've forgotten. But unfortunately, we're not in usual times. You know, you, you're talking about a hypothesis that was not published. You saw my hypothesis on ivermectin mm -hmm. and the microbiome. Is I'm having a difficult time publishing it, right? Because, right, because we are quoting, going against the mainstream. Yeah, yeah but they're quoting me the together trial. Mine was eventually published, but it took it took some time. <laughs> yes, all of them usually, but you have to fight. And and the problem is like to me, they they quoted me the together trial, and I said, wait a minute. First of all, all hypotheses should be published because it's like a race. You put your hypothesis out there and whoever is right at the end, you know who gave the hypothesis. So every hypothesis needs to be published. Second of all, why are they quoting one article, the TOGETHER trial to negate hypothesis? Who made the TOGETHER trial, of, uh, a trial that was flawed, the standard of care in medicine? Since when do we follow one paper? Ridiculous. Uh, I, I completely agree. I was lucky on the ACE inhibitor. I had a paper very early on before all the bias came in in the literature. I published it in Lancet, actually, 
Uh, and then we had the, I think, what I think is probably the largest definitive paper from the Coracle Network in Italy. We published it in JAHA, the Journal of the American Heart Association. After that, and the bottom line is it looks like ACE inhibitors are more protective uh, than ARBs. Um, but uh, the, the, the bottom line is uh, the, the bias now in the literature is so extreme that, you know, a definitive clinical trial in COVID would need to be about as big as the vaccine trials, about 20 to 40,000 patients. So any of these small trials, uh, you know, we're just trying to see a signal of benefit and, and acceptable safety, but we can't rule out a treatment effect with a trial so small and such limited dose exposure as the TOGETHER trial. And uh, I think we just have to kind of stay along that tack. I'm really disappointed with the FDA chair, Rob Califf, who's a friend of mine. He's blowing his time trying to comment on ivermectin when his house is on fire with vaccine safety, deaths, and disabilities. That's so sad. I, yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. You know, I, you know, I, I hope the FDA is going to start, you know, seeing the light and being more righteous and, you know, because this is not what, what I, you know, Dan, you and I have had this talk. We've done clinical research for years. I'd hate to believe that everything I've done following ICHGCP was just a farce to sell drugs. I would hate to, to think that, you know, and I would like to believe that the last 20 to 30 years that I've done clinical research was for something of the greater good. Right, Dan? Yeah, I mean... And Dad, you were saying you were about to say something. Yeah, I was about to say that that uh, also we should be looking at the the PEG uh, polyethylene glycol because it's the first vaccine that contains PEG, and PEG has been known from the past uh, to be a fusogen to fuse cells. In the 70s and 80s, uh, people worked with with PEG. Um, to, uh, to improve wound healing and, and uh, uh, axonal regeneration and so forth. And I think a lot of the side effects from the vaccine that we are seeing may be actually due to, to increased, uh, increased cell-cell fusion and syncytia formation, multi, multi-nucleation. And uh, syncytia formation, it's, it's actually a major trigger of cellular senescence. Uh, so, so because the 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 mRNA actually uh, induces the transcription of the S uh, antigen S1 and S2, and S2 is a fusogen itself. Uh, so, so I think many of the side effects that we are seeing are coming from the combination of PEG and S2, which which actually promote. Uh, uh, fusion. Um, so I think in the future, somebody would have to look at that, at, at the PEG, what PEG does in this vaccine, because it was never used in a vaccine before. Well, there's a lot of things, even the messenger RNA technology was never used. And that's something that's, you know, scaring me in a way, because I wonder what a floating protein is doing, right? And is it is it implanting itself in other dormant viruses, right? That's something that comes into my mind. You know, this uh, Stephanie Senoff at MIT is making yes. great progress and Greg Nee. I'm in this working group with them. They're terrific. This spike protein is, uh, uh, Dan Bongino asked me one of the best questions a media guy could ask. 
says, Dr. McCullough, why does the immunity after the vaccine go away after a few months, but the side effects linger? And I think the answer is exosomes, that the spike protein is enveloped in this phospholipid layers. Stephanie believes that these are taken up by neuronal pathways, taken up in the lymphatics. And so the spike protein is actually enabled by exosomes to actually cause disease, but the exosomes are shielding it from being immunogenic uh, to someone who's trying to get some immunity. So it's the worst of both worlds. Right. Wow. And that's probably what we're seeing with all these people that are getting COVID after the third, fourth booster is they've, they keep dropping their immunity. We're going to demonstrate it also in the microbiome because I feel that, you know, immunity to me is in the gut and, um, you know, we have to pay attention to that. What do you feel about Back to your point, Dr. Hazen, about the mRNA technology and the platform. A lot of the people in the industry and clinical research are really excited about it. They're talking about Alzheimer's vaccines, vaccines for all kinds of different things uh, using this technology. What does COVID do to this technology? I, I mean, I think we're, we're still, you know, we don't have the technology. We don't have a magic ball to see what's going to happen in the future. And I, I really doubt, and, and you're going to hear me say this now, I really doubt that this technology is going to help with Alzheimer's or anything like that, because Alzheimer's is so complex. And Alzheimer's, first of all, is, a, is at the microbiome level. We've seen it when we do fecal. I've seen it anyways in one case where I did fecal transplant and the patient regained his daughter's date of birth. So there, we need to pay attention to the microbiome if we want to fix Alzheimer's. Um, I'm concerned about messenger RNA because I really think that we do not understand what it does in the body. And what I, when I say that, remember there was like a lot of propaganda that basically said, oh, it stays in the muscle. Well, nothing stays in the muscle. The muscle is connected to the blood vessel. The blood vessel is connected to the heart, to the lungs, to the, to the bowels. It all inter, you know, mingles together. So what does a messenger RNA, what does a spike protein, and think about it, we took the worst part of the virus, right, Peter, you would probably agree that the worst part of the virus is the spike protein. And we yeah, took that. Yeah, I agree. No, yeah, we got, we got the code for the, the um, spike. I've learned something about the code for the spike protein from experts. A couple of things I've learned is that it's not actually the pure unadulterated code for the spike protein. There are about 120 brief sequences that are humanized because the ribosomes have to see some human code in order to, in order to keep processing. If it was all foreign uh, you know, viral code, the, the ribosomes would choke on it. So it actually, there's, there's a bunch of humanized segments there. Um, I, I think the reason why Moderna is proposing 15 different vaccines we don't understand about disposal of messenger RNA. The three prime and five prime nuns, the nucleoside analog caps appear to be fairly indestructible. And that Stanford paper that showed it's in the body for two months, we can't be loading up 15 different vaccines with this stuff all persisting in the body. And, and it's messenger you, RNA disposal. And if you think at like the human body to begin with, the human body is beautiful in that you put something that's foreign, that's created, it rejects it, right? So what do you do about a protein that is not really a natural protein? The body's gonna try to reject it. On a larger picture, in my opinion, the planet also is gonna try to reject it. You know, we saw with Omicron, Omicron was a natural occurring virus to fight off 
the unnatural virus, right? So is it the way, will, are we creating superbugs by bringing on viruses that have these unnatural proteins in them and therefore the real bugs wake up and become stronger to fight off the unnatural because that's what we're seeing i mean that's medicine right anything that's you know look at c diff we've tried to kill c diff for years and years and years with antibiotics we only made it stronger to the point that the only way to fix it was basically giving it a new microbiome a new garden well what do you do when you've killed off the planet's microbiome where are you going to find that new microbiome when you've injected everyone 13 different messenger RNAs for COVID, and then we add on top of that Alzheimer's and everything. All that's going back to the planet. And what is that going to do? You know, this is scary to me. You know, my co-writer, John Leake, who's a medical historian, and uh, he spent a lot of time in a medical history. He thinks it's very interesting how uh, there's now been a prevailing narrative that the human immune system is intrinsically uh, flawed. It has fatal flaws. So it must be supported by man-made immunizations to bring our immune system. We lost Peter. We wouldn't have continued continued as a race. So um, uh, so I, I think his viewpoint is interesting, how somehow we've convinced ourselves that we're immune deficient and that we need, uh, we need support for our immune system through vaccination. When I'm talking to patients uh, about weight loss and, uh, and getting a perspective, I remind them that the human genome is estimated to be about 2.4 million years old, if that. And, 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 and I kind of make a little you know, this is 2.4 million years. And for a fraction of that time, a tiny itsy bitsy teeny weeny part of that time, maybe a hundred years, all these chemicals, all these processed foods, all these things that the genome has never seen have cropped up. And, and since World War I, World War II, the metabolic syndrome has just blown up. And, um, and that's, not, that's not natural. That's, that's, a, that's a man-made from the food industry. The food industry engineers illness and the pharmaceutical industry profits off of it. And now they're engineering foods. So what is that going to do? I mean, that's like total destruction, in my opinion. Well, we're all Trekkies here, so it's fine, right? <laughs> no. Yes, it's crazy. So, so yeah, about the, the, uh, the, the S antigen, we, we know now that, that it crosses the blood-brain barrier. So it, it goes into the brain. We also know that it activates... Uh, ancient viral fossils, you know, the, the uh, human endogenous retroviruses. And uh, the, there's a new paper that just came out this week uh, that uh, shows that, that S2 antigen is the one that actually activates curve W envelope, which, which is a, a gene, physiological um, fusogen, syncytin one that works in the placenta to, to keep together the trophoblasts. So, so this, by activating, uh, by activating the, the herbs, actually the virus can, can go into the, the cell nucleus and to, into the DNA without expressing a reverse transcriptase itself. It doesn't have to because it piggybacks on the, on the herbs. Um, 
so we know that it goes in the brain, we know that it goes in the nucleus, we know that it inhibits P53, which is the main uh, anti-cancer defense. So you put together. Uh, and that, that was the, that, the P53, to me, the fact that they never looked at the before and after vaccination and the effect on the P53 was a big mistake. And the second big mistake is the BRCA gene. They never did the studies to look at the effect of the BRCA gene because that basically tells you if the if before vaccination, the BRCA gene was a certain way or the P53 was a certain way, and then after vaccination, it changed, there's a problem. It tells you the future because those genes, if altered, tells you the future of what's coming down the pipeline. I mean, we have the technology now to look at that. Why not use it? I don't know. Now is now is that not epigenetics, though, because, you know, we're back to like, what is what is the real utility of epigenetics and healthcare? It's not it's not for the pharmaceutical industry to take a hold of. It is to go back to our roots. Uh, Caucasians are six thousand years into eating grains, give or take. Right. Mexicans are maybe five hundred years into eating grains. And then Native Americans are maybe 100 or 150 years into eating grains. So who do you think assimilates uh, processed foods the best? And who's going to be the worst off? Not me. I want to buck the trend uh, on this grain. Hey, listen, um, there's a picking up on the comment. I like that comment about spike protein. Get it in the brain. Uh, Paper on my Twitter feed by Fan and colleagues from China titled COVID-19 Vaccine-Induced Encephalitis in Status Epilepticus. Uh, It's published in one of the Oxford journals in a 22-year-old male six days after Moderna. They actually did detailed spinal taps on this gentleman, and they found antibodies to the S1 segment in the spinal fluid that was out of phase to plasma, meaning that the spike protein uh, generation was actually in situ in the brain uh, and the antibodies were formed there and uh, out of phase to the plasma, which is very interesting. There must've been recruitment of T cells and B cells into the spinal fluid. Wow. Yeah, we, we know that, that uh, it, it uh, uh, impairs the regulatory T cells, the T-Rex. And that's, that's the thing that actually lowers your immunity. The more shots you get, the lower the immunity because you, you, you increase the, the uh, 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 T helper cells. I just sent everybody an article, um, bilateral retinal detachment in a 22-year-old female after like a few days after getting uh, one of the M- uh, mRNA shots. Case report from last July. I mean, maybe, maybe one of the one of the experts on the call can comment on just the wide range of of things we're observing after the vaccine. The, the range of abnormalities seems almost overwhelming, and uh, you know it does make me wonder: Are we attributing some things to the vaccines when indeed it's it's true, true, and unrelated? They had the vaccine, but it has nothing to do with the complication. It just—I've never seen something where there is such a range of different problems that look like they're temporarily related and actually, in this case, pathophysiologically related. So I, I was in the hospital uh, for wave two. So I was, I was in our COVID unit for wave two. So, so this was last 
Uh, no, so yeah, it was uh, 2020 in the fall. And if it wasn't an unvaccinated COVID patient with a body mass index over 40 or 50, it was any other patient who was vaccinated who had an arrhythmia or chest pain or hypertensive urgency or accelerated hypertension. I, I think one of the most striking things I saw in the hospital was a 90 year old female uh, Spanish speaking who got the vaccine and was in there for arrhythmias and had developed uh, uh, menstrual bleeding uh, like, like a month or two after the first shot. And, um, and everybody, like, like nobody cared about it. And, 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 she, and, and, and the interpreter was helping me. And I was like, what? Did you tell anybody? She's like, yeah, but they said, don't worry about it. And I was, <laughs> I was like, that's kind of a big deal. You're 90 and you, you, know, you haven't had any menses for a few decades. So, but, but um, listen to this. Uh, uh, my co-author, John Leake, his former girlfriend in the UK takes the vaccine. She gets a lymphomatous reaction the neck, massive lymph node swelling. It almost impairs her ability to breathe. She's hospitalized. Uh, she has biopsies and all these things. It, it, it's so intense. It occludes her carotid artery and she has a stroke as a oh. woman in her 20s. She wow. sees doctors at St. Mary's Hospital. They fly her into London. She's specialists, what have you. And they all tell her, we have no idea what you have. We have we've never seen this before. But one thing for sure, it's not due to the vaccine. And, and that, and okay, we're, we're the majority joke. in the clinical trials here, okay? Then when we do clinical trials and a person has a vaccine or a medication within the first side effect, within the first month, that's an adverse event. You have to think of it from meds, right? Yeah. 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 Or a serious adverse event. That's a serious adverse event. So I have had rectal bleeds, patients with, with you know, colitis, new onset, or worsening colitis. I've had neuropathies, patients would come in. That's the worst part is this shingles picture where they have like this intense pain around their, their um, face. And then tinnitus and ringing in the ears. So these are like, you know, those are the symptoms that I keep having patients suicidal ideations. I cannot tell you how many kids and your psychiatrist, Dr. Sfera, I mean, you know, has the rate of suicide in kids gone up through the roof or what? I mean, I've never, I, I, I'm seeing, you know, kids, friends of my kids, etc., that are like suicidal ideation. I don't understand it. Right. Yeah. That is much more. Uh, and the, the uh, neuropsychiatric symptoms, we are just beginning to, to learn what's happening. There's uh, uh, what we know that, that the virus does is, is uh, premature cellular senescence in uh, endothelia. So you have, you have more permissive endothelia. And that's the same with the blood-brain barrier from both, from the, from, from the S2 antigen and from the, the uh, uh, polyethylene glycol. In fact, the, the vaccine goes into the brain much more than, 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 than the S antigen. Yeah. Uh, although they both go, but, but, but the uh, um, induced pre premature cellular senescence in endothelia. So, so you have, you have, that's the reason why people with pre-existent endothelial disease, like people with diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, 
they their prognosis was worse when when COVID came. It, it's also furin. You know, the furin is the uh, it, it's an enzyme that the virus exploits to to um, uh, to activate the S2 antigen. So it's 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 our enzyme that the virus usurps to to um, uh, start the fusion process, the fusion machine. So these people with hypertension and diabetes, they have elevated fueling levels. So Di diabetes is another thing that's been very hard to control in those patients. Yeah. That post vaccinations. So. Yeah. But I, I personally think like that should be in the differential of any doctor. So for someone to say to Dr. McCullough, no, you know, it's not, it's definitely not from the vaccine. Well, how do you know? You, I mean, you don't, have to, you don't know. You Never have to even tested in, in mammals. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what has happened to the medical community? What, what is that phenomenal? Right? What is going on? Is it fear? Is it fear of losing their jobs? Is it fear of like, worrying about looking crazy what what is the phenomenon that's going on in the medical community they're, they're, they're in mass formation uh, and i would guarantee every doctor who's denying vaccine side effects has taken the juice himself i guarantee it uh I the mean, doctors yeah. yeah so the doctors who are recognizing vaccine injuries have either haven't taken the vaccine or they have and they've you know, they're remorseful now, they're starting to wake up, but doctors are in a trance. They keep juicing with the vax, getting COVID, denying vaccine reactions. I mean, this is, you know, what were, if you go to any cocktail party and you start talking vaccine side effects, everybody knows somebody, everybody. It's, but it's almost what we saw with drug addicts, right? It's like, oh, no, 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 I don't have a drug problem. I'm not a druggie, I'm not a druggie. It's like, oh my God, give me that shot, give me that, you know. We're seeing the same effect. I mean, like we gotta be, we gotta be objective, in my opinion. Brian, are you seeing? Where Brian, are we seeing? Are you seeing suicidal ideations, or what side effects are you seeing in the ER? So, at the urgent care, um, I can tell you that you know depression, anxiety are through the roof. Um, suicide attempts and suicide uh, rates are skyrocketed as well. Um, we know um, in multiple um, of my internal medicine friends, they all say heart attack and stroke are way up compared to normal. Um, so, I mean, it's really hard to deny that these issues are going on. And especially when you look at the data coming out of the, the all-cause mortality rates. I mean, I think when when you compare the two, I mean, you know, 52% increase in all-cause mortality, uh, it, it can't be ignored. Yeah. Let me ask you, are you doing D-dimers on these folks? No, I've been doing CRPs, and, and believe it or not, the CRPs are all over 20. You should do D-dimers, too. You're going to find that they're super high. Yeah, I do D-dimers. I just checked one on somebody. Yeah. I'm waiting for it to come back. Yeah. Um, do Do you have a? Is it? Can you get like an uh, an add on to the pickle? I have to look and see. Um, my machine does a, a CRP with a CMP as why. So we right. run the CRP level. We're noticing that the CRP levels are are off the chart. Uh, you know, guys, I'm gonna have to sign off, but I'll give one other laboratory tip. I've seen 
um, missed cases of myocarditis. So uh, because the local arm reaction and the fever and the general um, malaise that you have with the vaccine, that are masked. And, and in some of the, there's two papers by Jenna Shower showing some of the kids with myocarditis, you know, they just have pain in the arm. They actually don't have any chest pain. So I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of myocarditis. So when you evaluate, you know, get your EKG and your, but get your labs as a troponin, BNP, ST2, so SAM, TOM2, and galactin 3, G-A-L-E-C-T-I-N-3. Get those four because you'll miss the troponin rise and you'll see the ST2, BNP, and, uh, and galactin 3, which should be stone cold normal in young people. You'll see those persistently high. And, uh, and, and, the, and when, you order an MRI, when you order an MRI, by the way, the MRIs are universally positive. Remember, after the respiratory infection, the college teams had big MRI programs. They couldn't find any myocarditis. They gave up on doing it after the respiratory infection. But with vaccine-induced myocarditis, if you think you have it, order an MRI, you'll be rewarded by there's so many positive MRIs now. Do you worry in those patients of like long-term ejection fraction being dropped? Yeah, we certainly do. Probably about 13% will be persistent. On the MRI, look for the late gadolinium enhancement. The key number is 15%. If you see people greater than 15%, that's a sign they're at increased risk for sudden death. In the Jenna Shower paper, she had one case of boy, he was like, uh, I think 29%. He went down to like 21% or something. I have two patients now that are at 13 months and their MRIs are still positive. Oh, wow. And they still have symptoms. Oh my God. And, and those are hard cases to fix. How do you even fix that? Yeah, it's very, very hard. And I'll tell you the other thing is I have two patients now with bilateral DVTs and they're not going away with full dose anticoagulation for over a year. They're not going away wow. because I think because the spike protein is so long acting in the body. Have you well, tried probably, these they're things? probably fibrinogen. They're, pro they're probably those fibrose clots that Ryan Cole seen. Yeah. You know, so it's not, and it's, it's not a true blood clot. They're just actually, it's just basically fibrotic tissue. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. They seem to be completely unresponsive. I've even done high dose Zeralto aspirin and, and based on some naturopathic input, I've tried natokinase or lumbricase. Now I'm desperate because these things won't go away. It's been, you know, a very long time. Have you tried plasma pharesis, Peter? No, I haven't. You know, I used to run a lipid apheresis program when I was in Detroit. I don't have the tech right now. Um, it'd be too hard to, uh, you know, to work it out. Uh, you know, it, I, I haven't done it, but I've talked to others that in these uh, post-COVID syndrome, post-vaccine syndrome, they are reporting good luck with ivermectin, but given over a long period of time, like six, a month to six weeks. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. Dr. McCullough, do you think maybe silomarin could be a potential thing for those fibrin laden clots? Because I mean, silomarin is. I don't know about it. I mean, it is thought to have, uh, it can reverse fibrosis in liver tissue, I believe. So I, I, I'm not sure if it could reverse the fibrin, but mm. I'm just kind of grasping at straws, but probably thrown yeah, back yeah. to me. We're, we're desperate because there's no funding for vaccine injury research because the federal agencies don't recognize vaccine injuries. So, yeah. well, I think with yeah. time and probably they're going to basically realize as more people come up and, and mention it. So, 
All right, I've got to go, right. guys. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank, Thank you, Dr. McCullough. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. Bye-bye. So I guess that's a good place to start to wrap it up. Dr. Yes. Joe, you had a couple things you wanted to ask um, earlier. There was like a lot of good articles. Um, oh, yeah, there was. Um, I, I, uh, I set aside some articles here on a list um, just to discuss. You know, I just wanted to say it's Memorial Day and um, it's a it's a solemn day. It's a day to remember our fallen. Uh, it's also a day to remember uh, the fallen in the current war that we're in, because this is World War Four. We are in a fifth generational war, yes. whether people want to believe it or accept it or not. And the fallen are the vaccine injured, the ones who have died from the biological weapon, and then the ones who have succumbed to the psychological effects of the psychological biological weapon. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, I think it's very good that we're uh, having this discussion on Memorial Day. Um, I touched on the bilateral retinal detachment. Um, Dr. Tyson, um, question for you. What do you think about quercetin? Have you been giving people quercetin? Yeah, actually, I use that. I told them to take that prophylactic. As a prophylactic. Okay, cool. Yeah. I oh, take it myself and, and did not get caught. So this just a little caution on quercetin because I'm the microbiome girl here. Okay, great. So yeah. Quercetin, if you start on quercetin, unfortunately, you have to continue on quercetin because you've now killed off some of your good microbes and now you're exposed. If you have not started on quercetin, I would say do not start on quercetin because quercetin and the data is going to come out um, is not so great for the microbiome. Quercetin in foods, yes. However, you trust these vitamins. So you trust these vitamins to say what they are, right? But however, a lot of the products that are over the counter, unfortunately, do not have a quality supervision. So you got to be very careful, you know, and, and um, when you give these products. So if you want to give the foods, fine. If you want to give quercetin because you don't have hydroxychloroquine, great. But if you start with quercetin, continue with quercetin. But if you don't start, better stay away from it and boost your microbiome. So apple pectin is a better choice than quercetin? Yes. And, and I would say, you know, always from the foods, boost your fermented foods, boost your yogurts, boost your vitamins. That's why I would go more natural path than pill pushing, because then we become the same as you know, vaccinating. We wanna to try to stay more natural and avoid taking pills and keep your body in balance, in my opinion. And uh, homemade yogurt, uh, homemade yogurt, it's actually really easy to do. I mean, you just- Super easy. Yeah, um, maybe we, Dan, maybe we should do a video on that. Just like- And sauerkraut, to, uh, making sauerkraut. Yeah, next time we're in the office, we'll do a video on make your own yogurt. <laughs> yes, there you go. Great. That's so that would be a good one. That's uh, my only two things about quercetin. I'm maybe, not. I'm not a fan. Maybe we can end on the on the paper you guys are what, writing. What oh, sorry, Doctor Tyson, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what foods have quercetin in it? That would be onions, onions green onions. Um, yeah, apples. <laughs> yes, apples. Apples. Okay. Good. Yeah. 
So my son, uh, just a plug for green onions and kiddos. Um, my, my son, we've, uh, we've been giving him whole foods his whole life. And, and I, and he liked green onions from the first time he tried them when I think he was one or two or something. And before he would get sick or as he's getting sick, he would ask me specifically for a green onion because he's so little, he's so in tune with his body. He knows what he needs. And when I didn't give it to him, he would get sick. He'd get a fever. I give him the green onion. He eats the entire green onion. And then, wow. he, and then he doesn't get sick. And he, he like doesn't eat dinner. He goes to sleep and he's fine. And, um, and, you know, and if you look at Chinese medicine, which I'm not a specialist of, but my sister is a, is a specialist in Chinese medicine, green onion, quote unquote, releases the exterior in Chinese medicine. So what does that mean? It means as something is setting in, you eat a green onion to keep it out. Yeah. There's a lot of good uh, foods out there that are. And, and Hippocrates said an apple a day. So an apple a day keeps the doctor away, but remove the skin of the apple because most of the time they have pesticides. And we went, Dr. Hazen, we went a whole hour without talking about bifidobacteria. And that's the key to surviving COVID. In my opinion, my hypothesis, it's coming out. The hypothesis with your dad and I that we were working on publishing. It's going to be amazing. So I'm excited. And then we're going to be working on a lot of different things. Clostridium difficile, you know, all these bugs. Who awesome. knew your dad right, was such go, a guys. wealth of knowledge? What? I got to go. Great, great talk. Same here. Great talking to you guys. Thank you, right, Dr. Guys. Tyson. Have a good one. Thanks, Dr. Tyson. All right, Dan. I'm going to go too because I have to go gardening today. Okay, yeah. We'll just wrap it okay. up. But thank you guys so much. And um, like, subscribe, comment, share. Hopefully, we're not deplatformed. Bye-bye. We're not going to be deplatformed. <laughs> Bye. Bye.